Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be picking up in verse 8. We are in Hebrews chapter 11, again picking up in verse 8, and we're going to read to verse 22. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner, living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and, and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed and worshipped as he leaned on his staff. Then it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when he left. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for an opportunity to be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you. Lord, to look into your word and hear from you. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to be focused on you this morning. It is you who has brought us here and it is, it is for you that we are here. Lord, for everything you have done leading up to this moment, this is where you have put us. And so, Lord, I ask that you would open our ears and our hearts to your word this morning as Pastor Doug comes and shares with us. Lord, I ask that as we go from here, we would not neglect the lessons that you have taught us in your word, but that they would be at the forefront of our mind and of our hearts so that we may show your love and your truth to all those who would see us. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a great honor that we come to you this morning and share some words, I trust, that would help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, what has to do with faith. In fact, 
And that's what the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is all about, isn't it? It's all about faith. We've called it our procession of faith. We've looked at three portraits so far, and then we come to this one by the name of Abraham. It wasn't his given name by his parents. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you'll find out it was a little bit shorter. It was Abram. But when you get to chapter 17, then you begin of Genesis, you find out that God says, I'm changing things. You're going to be Abraham and your wife Sarai is going to be Sarah. In fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we we notice that there are three incidences in the life of Abraham that the writer of Hebrews draws our attention to. I don't believe we will get to the third one. I trust we'll get through to the second one. But this morning, I want to try to encourage you in three different areas of faith. First of all is the area of faith on the move. Then we're going to look at faith in the waiting room. And that's about where we'll get. What's interesting about this particular individual by the name of Abraham, who now is called that, that he was born and raised in an area of land that was noted more for their godless society than it was for hearing of God. And so when the writer of Hebrews writes to us and said, by faith, God spoke to Abraham, all of a sudden, you, you find yourselves in his same situation, don't you? For we too are gathered, if you will, in a godless society. And yet God is still calling out individuals by his name. He's leading people. He's calling them from forces of darkness and placing them into the kingdom of light. Now, Abraham was a little bit different than most of us, I'm sure, But yet in some ways, his life is what we pattern ourselves after. So when we come to Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning at verse 8, as Pastor Steve read for us this passage, it would do us well if we went back to Genesis chapter 12 to get the, if you will, the historical fact of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So please turn back to Genesis chapter 12. Good Bible exposition always has to focus on a number of things, context and historical context. So it's good for us to go back into history and see, or at least with our mind's eye, maybe we can hear with the depths of our spirit, this conversation that went on in Genesis chapter 12. Notice in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's land, house to the land that I will show you. Now, God doesn't necessarily speak that same way today. Uh, Abram did not have the written text 
He didn't have a map. He didn't have a GPS system that says, turn right now. He didn't have anything like that. But what he did have, if you notice, he had a sensitivity to a voice that he never heard before. For it was God that spoke to him and said, move, move. Now, when you start and, and, and stop and contemplate this, you should not move too swiftly. For here, God is telling Abram to leave a life of security and go to some place that you have no idea yet what is there. I'm not going to give you a map of how to get there. You just go to a place and I'll show you when you get there. What a, a dynamic faith that is. Going to a place you've never known. Hearing a voice that you've never heard. For the purpose of doing something you've never thought about. And, and here he is. Abraham. He, he leaves a life of security. Look who, who, who he is to leave. You are to leave your land you are to leave to your friends and you are to leave your father's house. All the things that we would recognize as being situations or portions of security of life. And I'm going to ask you to do something, Abram. I want you to go to a place that you will never see developed into its full potential. It's a promised land. Now we do know, according to history, that you need to get to the book of Joshua before you begin to understand what all of that development of that promised land was going to be about. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that as Abram went there, in verse 9, he pitched tents. He didn't build a house. And, and we'll get to that a little bit later, if I can just seed that information in your mind right now. There's a purpose of that. It's not that he couldn't build a house, but he decided not to. Why? For what purpose would that be? Well, God is saying to Abram, I want you to go. I want you to leave everything that you know. Now, this calls us, at least I think we should start considering, what if God would do that to us today? What would be our reaction be? Leave your job you know, leave the house you know, leave your friends, leave the security of all that you have, I got some other place to go. And you ask God, well, where are we going? You're on a need-to-know basis, and right now you don't need to know. You just go. Go. Move. Go. And how does that relate to us in our lives? I mean, here we are this morning, all, all seated and, and, and dolled up pretty nice. You look good. But yet, 
Some of us, at least, I'm not used to that because I've moved so many times. But some of you have never left the area that you've grown up in. Now you've got an understanding of how close you are related to Abraham. He was born and raised in Mesopotamia. Present day, if you will, just a little bit east of the river Euphrates. Known today a little bit as a land that's, that's known. And, and you're, you're to move. Go. May I share with you a, a personal story? I, and I'm not putting myself or my family in anything to compare to what Abram went through. But we have an idea a little bit deeper, I think, than maybe some of you have here. In 1986, I graduated from Lancaster Bible College. Hooray! What do we do now? Well, we feel the Lord's calling us to go to earn our master's degree in a church music situation. Because I always had this dream. Well, not always had this dream. I was in, when I was in school. That maybe I'd go get a master's degree. Then I could show up at some kind of Bible college or maybe a Bible institute and teach courses on church music. I couldn't play a lick of piano. And I, I feel so sorry for my piano instructor when I was in college and then the one in seminary. I think I was more like Keopectate to them than a the student that knew what was going on. You know, that Keopectate stuff, it's supposed to help you, but it tastes horrible. I could just see it in their eyes when I show up for my lessons. They'd go, oh, Doug's here, great. But anyway, in 1986, we made plans. In fact, one of our fellow students who we became very close to, our son is named after him. He did summer missions in the city of Chicago. And while he was there, he met a family who their son and daughter-in-law and their children were already at Portland, Oregon, in what's called Western, at that time, Conservative Baptist Seminary. Now it's just Western Seminary. And so we were able to contact them in 1986. They sent us the Oregonian. Now, for you that have no idea what that is, that's the Sunday edition of the paper. And there we plotted things. Oh, this looks like a good place to live. This looks like a good job I could have. But 1986, time to go, and we didn't go. We couldn't go. The Lord closed the door. But I never lost the desire, never lost the dream. 1987 came around, and I said to my wonderful wife, do you think we can go now? And she said, well, let's investigate. Well, in the meantime, we had lost the name, the address, the phone number of the couple that was already in Oregon. We had no idea where they were. So I had to call the Oregonian and get the paper shipped to us. Sunday's paper would come about Wednesday. All the good shopping deals are gone by the time. And so we began again to plot, and it came in 1987, right around the end of June. God was moving, and so we said, we're going to go, and we left. The day that we left, I called an employer 
who I was in contact with prior to that. And he said, Doug, when you get out here, the job is waiting for you. You come. Okay. So in our travels of six days traveling from Lancaster, Pennsylvania to Portland, Oregon, don't ever say Oregon in Oregon. You will be looked down upon. You are a dog. We had to learn that quickly. And as we arrived on Sunday afternoon, unhooked our U-Haul trailer, all our earthly belongings were in that trailer. We unhooked it and we settled down that night. The next day we get up and Monday and we travel to the address of the employer that I just spoke to six days before. It's an area called Gresham. It's one of the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. It's sort of south and, if you will, west of Portland, Oregon. Beautiful area. We drive in and can't find the address. There's, there doesn't seem to be any street with that. And I go to the post office right there in Gresham, and I said, could you direct me to this address? And the postmaster so graciously said, son, there is no such street in Gresham. Now, wait a minute. I just spoke to this guy six days ago, and he told me to come to this address to get this job. Okay, well, maybe you just copied it wrong. What the, uh, what's the uh, company you're looking for? It's a printing company, and here's the name of the printing company. He said, son, there's no such printing company. I said, wait a minute, I got a phone number. So he reached down and pulled up the phone and let me use it. And I dialed the phone number. And you know you're not connected correctly when all of a sudden you hear, this number is no longer in service. Wait a minute. Six days and the guy went bankrupt? Where are we? What are we doing? Dejected and going out to the van. I'm thankful my wife was not standing next to me in the post office. She would have passed out. I go back to the van and she says, okay, where do we go? I said, looks like we go back to the hotel. Wait a minute, no job? No, no. I told her the story. I mean, you want to talk about throwing black paint on a white wall. It was a stain. I know what she was thinking because I was thinking the same thing. What do we do now? And so in her wonderful voice, she said, well, at least let's go to the seminary and see if there's anything there. So we drove and went down the bottom of the commons, and there's all these houses that people are looking to rent to seminary students. And she said, here's a house for rent. And I just saw the street, it's right up here. Let's at least take it and go to that place. Okay, so we go there and the garage door's open. So apparently someone's there. You don't leave your garage door open in the city, that's for sure. It's like, come on in, take everything you want. And there was a landlord. And so I go in and speak to him, tell him what I'm, what I'm doing. He says, well, what kind of job you got? I said, I don't have a job. 
but I'm looking to rent a house. And I told him, in fact, if you'll rent your house to us, we'll do all the work. We'll clean, we'll paint, we'll reclaim your lawn <laughs> and, and, and take care of the rose bushes. Uh, we'll do all of that. If you just let us rent your house, give us a month free, and we'll do all that work. won't cost you a thing. Well, let me think about it. Okay. We go back to our hotel, and we're there for a few moments, and the phone rings in our room. I pick it up, and there's a strange voice on the other side of that phone. He said, we've never met, at least in person, but we did meet a year ago. You might remember we sent you papers. You might be aware that we were helping you, trying to get you here, and here you are. It was Craig Cheney. And lo and behold, Craig Cheney and Judy and their children live right next door to the house that we stopped at to see if we'd rent. And it was there that we began our graduate experience. Why do we say that? Well, we are no way matchable to Abraham. You're never going to find my name written in this holy scriptures. Oh, there is a book that my name is in, and I trust you're in it too. It's called the Book of Life. But here it was. As I'm reading and studying this passage, all of this came rushing back to me, realizing that, yes, there are times when God tells you to go, to move, and not necessarily change locations, but maybe he's just asking you to move to obedience to him. Come closer to me. Well, and so what we have is, if you will, faith in motion, faith in movement, whatever. You understand that faith in of itself is you come to find out that the best place that God wants you to be is the place that he's called you to go. And the best thing that you can be doing is the thing that God's called you to do. Oh, many more instances. And I'm sure some of you have those same kind of stories where you look back and you realize that this faith thing is pretty cool. It's a great thing. Oh, it can be, if you will, scary at some times. But all in all, in reality, God has a wonderful plan. Well, the second part of faith in the waiting room is a little bit different. Because now we have to go historically to Genesis chapter 17. Just go to Genesis chapter 17. In the first three verses... 
we see a promise that's being made. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of a multitude of nations. And no longer shall your name be called Abram, for, but now your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you unto nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. From chapter 12 to chapter 17 is 24 years. And you go back from chapter 12 to chapter 17, and you will not see where God says, I want you to do something, or I'm going to bless you. Now, some of you immediately are running to the point of where the three individuals came to visit Abram because of a situation that they said, we're going to destroy Lot, and, or, or excuse me, Sodom and Gomorrah. You understand that? But we're talking about a direct command from God the Father himself as he spoke to Abraham. Now, chapter 17 is nothing new because if you go back to chapter 12 and verses 2 down to verse 4, you will find out that God had already established a covenant with Abram. Look to the sky. Your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars. Look to the sand of the sea. Your offspring is going to be that massive. But Abraham never, Abram at that time, never considered the fact that what God is about ready to tell him. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. Now, Abram at that time, or now Abraham, even gives this information to his wife, Sarah. And, and Abraham says to God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. I'm 99. When the baby comes, I'm going to be 100. And my wife is going to be 90. Can I have a show of hands, ladies, when you reach 90, would you like to have a child? Because I know when I reach 100, <laughs> I'm done. Well, I'm done now. That's, I'm not having any more. That's ridiculous. I, I've had six. I've, I've fulfilled the, the command to multiply and replenish the earth. I've done my part. Now it's up to them. But can you understand this point of faith? And, and a part of an individual 
according to physical appearance, it's impossible. Nothing. It can't happen. It's it. God, what are you talking about? And, and, and it tells that they laughed. They laughed. They're this kind of laugh that keeps you from crying. If you don't laugh about it, you, you're just going to cry. What are you talking about, God? What is it? <laughs> and so when you consider these things, and you find yourself even beginning to doubt the wisdom of God as you see these things through the eyes of the wisdom of man. You come to understand the very power of God. We've not taken the time, and and time won't allow us to, but if you go to Romans chapter 4, and and you read the first, uh, basically it's good if you read the whole chapter. Because in Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is mentioning Abraham. First of all, he's the father of all of us. Remember, for become from his seed, it will be multitudes. That's everyone who has trusted Christ. And not only that, but it obviously even gets to the point where it says that Abram and Sarah believed in the power of God to be able to accomplish what he said he would do. When it seemed to be impossible, the power of God has never runs dry. Never runs dry. Now there's two things we need to close with. Specifically, I told you we would not get to the third. But specifically, what are we dealing with? First thing is this. Even though there was a 24-year period of time that God gave this information to Abraham in chapter 17 of Genesis, don't you find it interesting that there's times when God waits for the right moment? We're convinced that The reason God did not want us to go in 1986 to Portland, Oregon is because the house that we were renting was occupied in 1986. And it wasn't available. In fact, it belonged to a couple who were the son and daughter-in-law of the landlord that we rented from. They were about ready to move from Portland, Oregon and go to Dallas, Texas, in order to be enrolled in a doctoral program at Dallas Theological Seminary. In 1986, the facility was not available. We didn't know that. All we felt was discouragement. God, what are you doing? He says, wait. Wait. 24 years. And you kind of wonder, as you remember in Genesis chapter 40, Joseph Here he is in a prison, and he has a conversation with the cupbearer of Pharaoh. And he he says, now wait a minute, when you get out, I want you to do something. 
tell Pharaoh about me. Oh, I will, I will, I will. The cupbearer leaves, and Joseph doesn't hear for seven years. And you kind of wonder, what is he thinking? God, why did you bring me here? You gave me this dream. You put me in a position that I thought was for the safety and for the, if you will, the protection of a nation. And I'm in prison for seven longer years. And then finally the phone call came. Send up Joseph. And you know the rest of the story. The second thing that we need to remember is this. Then in chapter 17 and in verse 1, it says these words, And the Lord appeared and spoke to Abram. And he says, I am God Almighty. And that word Lord there, if you check it out in Hebrew, if you're interested in that, or you can look it up in a concordance, that word Lord is, should be El Shaddai, which literally means I am able. I am able. I'm able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ever ask or think. And now all of a sudden your mind goes to Ephesians chapter 2, where God says the same, Paul says the same thing. He's able to do, He is sufficient. He won't let you fall. He won't let you. He can't. His name demands that he can't. El Shaddai. It's a wonderful name. And so you can't help but wonder if maybe Abraham, hearing that, all of a sudden realizes that what God has promised, a a little boy, a baby, I'm 100 years old, my wife's 90. And you're sufficient to do that. Yes. God says, yes, I am. But in closing, just one last thing, if I may. You'll notice that when Abraham arrived in the promised land, he didn't build a house. He pitched a tent. We're coming back from when we said earlier. And what did he do? He pitched a tent because he was looking for a place that had foundations that were created by God. I'm looking forward to that place. So I'm not going to drive stakes too deeply in this earth because what awaits me is far greater than whatever could be exposed on this earth. Isn't that something, the same thing that maybe Jesus said to us in John chapter 14? When he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you'll be also. So how do we tie this all together? Well, It's all about faith. Faith of obedience to move. Faith of trusting in the one who is all sufficient. 
and faith realizing that we got some other place to go. Fashioned by God himself. I can't think of anything better. Can't think of anything better to describe a walk of faith. Which is the words that even God said in chapter 17 verse 1. Walk with me. Abram, walk with me. How about you? How is your walk with the Savior? Are you getting close to him? Are you learning things of him? Are you obedient to him? Of some things that maybe he wants you to move from? Not necessarily the location where you live right now. But how about some habits that are not pleasing to him? How, how, how about friends that you shouldn't be hanging out with? Witnessing to them, yes. But not allowing them to determine your outcome. Abraham's a great expression of that. Abraham. Yes, God. Move. Doug. Yes, God. Move. Would you be willing to put your name in there? That's what God wants. I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we have had no greater example of what it means to trust in you than through the lives of the ones that we've seen. We thank you for the expression of Abel and Enoch and Noah and now Sarah and Abraham. Great examples, great portraits as we journey in this gallery of faith. And yet they all have one thing in common. They lived by faith. They expressed their life in a way that others saw it. And I'm sure others were amazed. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would encourage us as a congregation. <coughs> Excuse me. A congregation whereby all we want to do is walk with you. Draw near to you. Be available for you. In other words, move. With our eyes focused upon Jesus. With the anticipation of a land that is yet to come. May everything that we say and do be for your glory. And we'll praise you in your name. Amen.